Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Maria Velasquez, and with me today, of course, my trusty host, Gianna Whitfer. And today we have a super special guest coming to us from afar, but a big fan nonetheless. (laughs) And you'll tell us a little bit why in a few seconds. Daniela, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Daniela, you are currently VP of Marketing at Reveal Security. You have quite the experience across tech and cybersecurity as well, but you do come to us from film and television, arts. You're a brand and growth strategist is what you dub yourself. I can't wait to dig into all of that. But first, let's start with how your story started, basically. So I started in film and television and I started as a producer at ABC News in New York. So I grew up in Israel, and I'm Israeli and American. And that's a profile that I think is very common in tech marketing in general. But I grew up here, and I did military service here, and I got my undergraduate degree here. And then I I went to New York. Some of my grandparents were still alive at the time. And I spent eight years as a TV producer at Good Morning America. So I started out as a desk assistant, which is the way in as an entry level. And I ended up working nights for five years because the show airs from seven to nine. I have to say this was before it was rated number one at the time. I think the Today Show was doing better. But you took it there. You took it to number one before you left, right? That's the story. Right. So ABC News has a bureau in Israel. You know, it has international bureaus in some countries. And Israel, because of the political profile, has a bureau here. So I started out here and then I, I moved there. And like I said, I became a producer at a specific TV show, which is very varied, right? So Good Morning America has news, but it also has cooking and it has a lot of celebrities and music and, and a wide range of things. And then at the time, this was when like the beginning of the 2000s, when tech was threatening television. And so the TV industry was really, honestly, terrified of what was going to happen. It was still very much analog, and all this new tech was coming in, and it was unclear what would happen. The more interested in it I became, that sort of drew me to get a, a degree in business administration, an MBA. And then after about 10 years outside of Israel, I moved back. And I got into the tech sector through content in the beginning, through mobile content. And then over time got into mobile advertising, digital advertising, and that sort of led me to marketing. First, tech marketing at different places, and now it reveals security, which is specifically cybersecurity. And what I sort of pitched to you guys as a topic for discussion here was the difference between Israeli cybersecurity marketing and American cybersecurity marketing, because that's something that I often find is interesting to me. And I think I came to the conference that you guys did in November, and I recognized a few Israelis there, but out of, I don't know how many hundred people were there, three, 400, I saw a handful. I saw maybe five or six. And that really surprised me because, A, I'm a huge fan of your community and the Slack channel, which is an incredible <laughs> resource for me. But also, Israel is such a huge part of the cybersecurity sector that to see only a handful of people at the conference, to me, said, you're not seeing us 
at a conference like yours, which in my view is the biggest sort of mainstream place for cybersecurity marketers to meet up and exchange ideas and learn from each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. We hope for that growth from that region. Within the community, we're seeing, you know, little regional chapters pop up and there's one in Tel Aviv. So hopefully that will spring some growth there for us that would then bring them to the annual conference that tries to gather everyone together. I think one thing that for this upcoming year's conference, we are announcing it. Well, I guess listeners, I don't know when this will come out. It'll probably be live by then, but we're announcing it much earlier. I think last year, the conference, we kind of let everybody know about it, maybe four months in advance. (laughs) And it might be hard to do international travel with such a short period of time. Book a ticket, tell your boss, do the whole many hours of flight. So hopefully this year with much, much more notice also, we'll have some more people from around the globe, including Israel, because everyone will have a little bit more time for planning. <laughs> My advice on that would be to tie your conference with the timing of another big cybersecurity conference, because I was able to attend in November because I had another conference in New York the week before. And so it made it convenient for me to say to my boss, look, I'm taking the extra time. I'm going to go to D.C. for that. It would have been tougher if I had to sort of pay for a ticket just for that. That is true. So talk to us about you carry both identities, right? You're a cybersecurity marketer who's American and has worked here in the U.S. And now you're a cybersecurity marketer who's working out of Israel. Talk to us about some of the differences that you see working as a marketer in this industry. So, okay, before that, I was thinking, like, what do you guys know about Israel? I made a list here, and I'm just wondering what of this list you know. Wow, the tables have turned. Gianna, (laughs) this is spicy. (laughs) We are now, we're the subject of the game. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Could you tell me, like, just, you know, in a sentence or two, what you know of Israel in general, not necessarily in the context of professional tech. Israel has the best hummus, according to my husband. (laughs) I could point it out on a map. And I do watch Fauda. Also, thank you, Maria, for introducing me to that show. That show is so good. And yes, of course, being in cybersecurity, I know a little bit about the Iron Dome and about some of the cybersecurity that comes out of Israel, such as especially the elite organizations, such as the 8200 unit coming out of the IDF. That's what I know about Israel. Gosh, a lot of pressure on me. What do I know about Israel? Didn't you do like academic work, Maria? Yeah. So yeah don't don't I, pretend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know a lot. So I was actually born and raised in Morocco. And in Morocco, we have a very rich Jewish history. In fact, there's a lot of saints that are buried there that warrant a pilgrimage every year. And the King of Morocco is a huge supporter of of the community and its growth and it staying within the country versus it leaving. But yeah, in college, I had a friend. He's still a friend. (laughs) He created a, a basically a digital mapping project that was documenting Jewish history across the Middle East and North Africa, where he would reconstruct digitally synagogues, cemeteries, temples, community centers, everywhere across the entire region. And he made it available for everyone online, which was a really, really cool project. And I was obviously in charge of 
Morocco precisely and working on documenting and figuring out where those sites are and sending people on the ground to take pictures and 3D modeling and all of that. That was actually really, really cool. Yeah. But yeah, what do I know about Israel? It definitely has a big Moroccan influence for sure across food and music. Yeah. Of course, we can't ignore everything that's happening there politically and all of the conflicts for so many years and what people are going through on both sides in terms of daily lives and having to live with that. But I think that that is a big influence on its success also, because there is this need, I think, for Israel to join the world (laughs) like any other country across infrastructure and tourism and tech. And I think tech was the way I feel like that it would help its footprint internationally. But that's a little bit of my knowledge. We should have every guest quiz us on like a new country (laughs) every week. (laughs) (laughs) We should do our our research. Jeez. Well, I definitely used to, as a marketer, I'm used to being the one asking the questions anyway, but Uh the previous uh, TV How did we do, Daniela? You both did really well, and you know, you actually know quite a bit from different angles. And I guess what I can say is that Israel is a small country, even though Gianna can find it on a map, right? Which is nice because a lot of people, you know, it's tiny, but it has a Jewish majority. It does have Muslim and Christian minorities, but it's a country that is sort of a it's a post-Holocaust reality. So in the middle of the 20th century, there was this huge trauma in the world, right? And specifically in Europe and specifically for Jews. And really Jews are, there are two sort of big ethnic types of Jews. There's Jews who come from Europe and Jews who come from the Middle East, like North Africa and Morocco used to have a huge community and most of them are living in Israel now, but there are still some in Morocco. And they're the ones who brought the homeless. And so, you know, homeless is like, you know, one of the, I think Tel Aviv today is, is a culinary capital in many ways. And especially for vegan food, which homeless would be part of, of course. Yeah. But I mean, if we think about it in the context of tech and what it takes to build a company from scratch in a startup, really most Israelis come from a, two generations back of refugees of one type or another. It could be European refugees or North African or refugees coming from neighboring countries to Israel. So starting with nothing to lose, really, in many ways, when you start a a company and tech and you're developing tech, you come from nothing to lose. In many ways, that sparks innovation. And the no rules kind of chutzpah that Israelis are known for comes from that original sort of state of being of refugees. But also there's a lot of conflict where we live. There's occupation that Israel is involved in very much. And right now there's a big judicial takeover that could destroy democratic foundations. All these things that are happening are in many ways just PTSD from the 20th century. And Israel is still very much sort of happening it's still defining what it what it is and what it can be and what it's going to be in the context of cyber 10% of global attacks on national levels are directed at israel which in, if you compare that to the size of the country is 
a lot. Insane. Yeah. 40% of global private investments in cybersecurity go to Israeli companies. And 16% of cybersecurity vendors are Israeli. So it's a huge sector. So the Israeli tech sector in general is very big, but cybersecurity is, is the biggest subsector within it. And it drives a lot of innovation and it drives a lot of income for taxes for Israel. And it's also very powerful. It's like a local powerhouse for us. So I used to work at ABC News and as a journalist, whoever I would call, I would say, you know, calling from ABC News, everybody recognizes that brand. And then working at small startups, you guys also know, you sort of start and you say, I work for whatever company and nobody knows what it is, right? And of course, as a marketer, <laughs> it's also your job to make sure that it becomes something that's better known. Working for the Israeli cybersecurity sector is a bit of a, so it gives you a bit of an edge by comparison to other tech sectors in Israel, I think, because it's so well known. The 8200 unit that you talked about, which I was in myself, it's a, a very big unit and there's a lot of variety of, of roles in there. And just to, I won't date myself, but I was there before a lot of digital stuff. So <laughs> very different in the early 90s, right? The cybersecurity sector in Israel benefits from people being in the army beforehand. And because Israel is such a attracts so many attacks, it's a strength in the army as well. And and then that later on becomes a strength in the public or the commercial sector as well. Specifically, you mentioned Iron Dome, which is not a cybersecurity product. Okay, so Iron Dome is... Uh, it's like a missile defense, right? It's a missile defense system that enables interception of missiles um, in the air before they land on the ground and explode, hurting people, right? And so it's not specific to cyber. It's actually more of a tactical daily defense system, whereas cybersecurity attacks are a very different, are not a physical. Right. Not most, but some can be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so in the context of marketing leadership, Israel was sort of in the last 20, 30 years built a huge strength in product and R&D and development of cybersecurity products. But what we're seeing in the last 10 years is that it's also becoming a hub for cybersecurity marketing, which if you think about it, is just a natural evolution. I work U.S. hours, three or four days a week at least. I have to work U.S. hours because that's the market that we are targeting all the time. Mm. And COVID, of course, helped that as well, because if everybody's working remote, then it really doesn't matter if you're in Tel Aviv or in Danbury, Connecticut, right? It doesn't make a difference in many ways. And so Israel in the cyber sector is not only like a startup environment, but also a scale up environment more and more, I think. And there are big companies that people know, like Checkpoint and Palo Alto, and they're like the famous brands that people recognize all the time. And then every year there are new up and coming companies, like in this case, in this year now, there's Wiz with crazy valuations. Mm -hmm. And every, you know, every year there are different 
companies that grow to a point of like ridiculous, you know, not ridiculous, but huge valuation, <laughs> not necessarily realistic, but also, I mean, we all wish we were there to benefit. From- <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous because we're green and envy, but ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like the 10 billion, whatever, but yeah, like, I wish I was on this like fake rocket ship too, please. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Daniela, like, what do you think are the main maybe differences between Israeli-based cyber marketing and U.S.-based cyber marketing? Because what you're saying is Israeli cybersecurity marketing is growing. I mean, I think it was an old adage or an old saying or an old philosophy where you have product and development in Israel and you have sales and marketing in the U.S. and you're shaking your head. So what's the difference between the two? Okay, so sales is usually based in the States for most Israeli cyber companies. Marketing is now more of a mix, and often there's leadership here in Israel with field marketing in the States. And although there are also situations when where marketing is completely driven in the States, and I can give some tips about how to apply for a job with an Israeli company, which was interesting for me, again, when I was at the conference in November, where there are people I was chatting with, and almost everybody seemed to have worked for an Israeli company before which didn't occur to me, which was also really interesting. But I think the main difference is sort of a long-term versus short-term culture, where, in my view, American marketing has a sort of more stable, longer-term philosophy and goals, and Israelis are still sort of, it's a constant struggle to survive in many cases, and it's a shorter-term myopic strategy in many cases. Now, there's plenty of American startups that are early growth and then they go bust. And so there's a lot of survival there, obviously, as well. But branding, for example, in my view, is something that American marketers are better at growing and thinking about from day one, whereas Israeli companies, I find that I constantly have to struggle with leadership to say, Branding is important even at the beginning, and it's not something that we can deal with when we grow because you're not going to grow without the branding, and so that goes back and forth. So in my view, Americans are more brand-driven while Israelis are more performance-driven as a stereotype, just in general. Then there's the cultural, sort of the impact of cultural differences. So when it comes to PR and analyst relations, for example, I think American marketers sort of have the upper hand there because they're American and the journalist is American and the analyst is American. Whereas Israelis are coming into it with a cultural gap, which is, I mean, I've been with co-founders on the phone with an analyst or on Zoom. It's just like horrible, ridiculously awful calls where nobody's listening to each other And we are just sort of lecturing instead of learning from the analyst. It's just a real uphill battle for Israeli marketers with the likes of Gartner and Forrester. And it's really hard to find the right way to to work with them without pissing them off. I mean, it's just often I'm on the phone and someone from one of my bosses is pissing off an analyst. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? And then you're just damaging the reputation more than doing you might as well not have the call because now they have. 
Looks like we need to start an analyst firm in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Just for cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's interesting because if you start an analyst firm, a cybersecurity specific analyst firm in Israel, what would the influence of, like, what's the point of an analyst firm? To sell your things to their customers because they like you. Right. Well, I mean, this, yeah, we could say pros and cons for analysts in general, but a global analyst firm probably has to be based in the States. It can't be Israeli based. It can have some analysts here in Israel, but to have the, the global influence, it has to be in the States, which is why everybody's, the market is in the States. We like Reveal Security has Israeli customers. I can't leverage them for marketing purposes. I can only leverage American, even European customers often don't have the clout that from a marketing perspective that an American customer would have. Wow. Crazy. And there, there are so many uh, huge companies that are European, only based in Europe, very little presence in the U.S. That's insane to hear. There's German companies, right? But that there's a language barrier there. So the easiest comparison is to talk about British companies. And then also you could say from an Israeli perspective, what's the difference between an American company and a British company? So some Israelis can't tell the difference. Right. Mm. It's just this. They're all speaking English. They're the same, which obviously they're not. And so that's one barrier. And the other barrier is that the UK is closer from a geo perspective. But the clout the British market has is not as impactful as the American one does. And it goes back to New York, New York. If you make it there, you make it everywhere. (laughs) As Israeli marketers, we're all looking to sell in the States. If you're an American marketer, it doesn't occur to you that you're going to start elsewhere, right? You're going to start in your local market. Yeah. Here's another question about just on that topic. What about APAC? APAC is such a big, I feel like it's closer to Israel than the U.S. in terms of, well, I think time zones and things. But what's the view on the APAC region as opposed to the U.S. region? I've been at companies where, like Singapore specifically, has been a very important market. And the company I'm in now, I actually agree with the strategy. APAC is not a target for us, even though it's easier from a geo perspective for us to focus and get the most out of what we're doing. We need to go west from here and not east from here. That's Europe and that's the States is the primary market. And then Europe is the secondary market. But, you know, Singapore, India, of course, these are huge Huge markets. But from a marketing perspective, if I put a logo of an Indian company or a Singaporean or a Thai company or a Chinese company on my website, the impact of that is a fraction of the, it's not, you can't compare it with the impact of a, an American company. Makes sense. Wow. That's crazy. Because people don't know it. They don't recognize it, right? I mean, what's the impact of a, a logo? That means you recognize it. The bigger the logo, the more likely people will recognize it. You going to recognize a bank in Singapore? Maybe. <laughs> but I think that's because <laughs> I've been at cybersecurity companies selling into banks in Singapore. So <laughs> I'm very specific. So then you would, but... And now a word from our sponsor, Hushly. Hushly is the first all-in-one buyer experience and conversion cloud. Hushly takes critical marketing products that need to work together as a single solution and brings them into one unified platform. 
With Hushly, cybersecurity marketers gain efficiencies, productivity, and scale while offering rich, personalized, and connected digital experiences to their prospects and customers. If you're looking to be more efficient and make account and contact level personalization a core part of your demand generation, ABM, and content marketing efforts, then take a look at Hushly. That's Hushly with no E. H-U-S-H-L-Y.com. And thanks Hushly for sponsoring our party at RSA Conference 2023. See you all there. Uh, no, I know your point, Danielle. I'm just trying to be a, a jackass. Um, <laughs> to just uh, back on the cultural differences side of the house, because what you were saying before about the analyst relations was really interesting. Would you say, like you just said, there's that disconnect between potentially like tech founder and American analyst who probably expects to be like wooed, maybe a little bit, or wined and dined over the phone or whatever. Oh, what is the difference? <laughs> Like, <laughs> what, is, what is the difference culturally? Like, like, what are the expectations of maybe the Israeli founder getting on the phone? How can we bridge that gap too? Because a lot of us do work with Israeli companies who have Israeli founders. So it'd be good for us to know, like, how can we prepare our founders for these analyst relations calls, which we all must must set them up to do successfully? So, okay, I think at a stereotypical level. Israelis are going to be rude and aggressive and emotional, whereas Americans are going to be the opposite of those three. Um, now, obviously, there are plenty of lo- hyper logical Israeli executives and emotional American executives, right? So there's a big range there. But for an Israeli to do well with an analyst, with an American analyst, there are rules, and you're going to have to play by those rules. And Israelis don't like to play by rules. We just don't like rules, right? Like if you think of an organization like Gardner, it has its rules. It has the way, you know, if you want to oh, yeah. get into a magic quadrant, if you want to get, of course, into like a cool vendor, and, and there are rules. And in fact, Gardner has like a lot of rules, more than I think most, right? You got to play by those rules. You have to understand what the rules are. You got to respect those rules. And that sort of has to be the starting point. But I also think Israeli technology Again, if you think of stereotypes, I think the stereotype of American cybersecurity technology is that it's defensive technology. It's good guys, right? And they're defending consumers. They're defending the country, like on a national level. There's a lot of attacks or technology that enables attacking. And Israel is known for some of those. So I don't think Israel, Israelis, the cyber sector is not only about defensive products. It's also sort of, you know, basketball offense as well. (laughs) And that hurts some of the reputation of the sector here as well, because we're sort of, there are stories of technology that takes over your phone, takes over your cameras, all of those things. And they are often associated with Israeli companies. And so they're just a small fraction of the industry, but Thinking of stereotypes, that's another difference. And I think if you're looking for a job with an Israeli cybersecurity company, 99% of the sector is defensive technology. It's not the spying, you know, that you sort of think about or see on movies, that kind of thing. Then there's like little sort of tactical differences, like the difference between Slack and WhatsApp. Oh, yeah, that was fun to learn. 
WhatsApp. Oh my God. So, <laughs> we, we live on WhatsApp. Everything's on WhatsApp. We have a huge WhatsApp group here that Yotam Gutman manages, which is the Israeli marketing WhatsApp group sort of to go to for anything, which is the equivalent of your Slack channel for me. Okay. I'll follow Yotam's WhatsApp group and then I'll follow your Slack channel. And that helps me understand what's happening in both markets. But a lot of Americans don't even have WhatsApp and are understandably very uh, critical of WhatsApp because everything you write in WhatsApp, Facebook now is going to know about it and advertise and And so that's like a small tactical thing, which is like a constant, like my boss, we have an American team now. The American team is working on Slack and I'm working with them on Slack and he's still on WhatsApp, right? And (laughs) he's on Slack, but he hates it. He just absolutely hates it. And he doesn't understand why we need both. And of course we don't need both, but we have both. And so you sort of want to make the most of both. And and if you're looking for a job with an Israeli company, you're going to have to download WhatsApp. You're going to have to put on WhatsApp and, and sort of learn to use it as your, it really replaces Slack in many ways, even though it's a lot less effective. There's no channels. I mean, there's the fragmentation options that you have in Slack. You don't have them in WhatsApp. It's true. I mean, internationally, WhatsApp is maybe the second most used app across families and student groups and parent groups of students and family and cousins. And it's insane. Well, family groups are huge, but you're saying it's the second one. So which one's the first one? I don't know. I don't know what to compare it to, but I just know because I have a lot of cousins everywhere in the world, right? My sister, my brother, my mom. I mean, we live on WhatsApp. We do a, a group call and it's my siblings and my mom and we'll show her the kids and it's, that's where we live. So I, I know that it's very, very well used internationally. Yeah. And like, so this week we have a conference in Denver. There's FSI SEC is going on this week. Oh, that's right. We're going to that. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, all kinds of vendors that I'm working with to get printed materials over there and swag and whatever, they're not on WhatsApp. Or if they are on WhatsApp, they don't read the messages there. So even if I can find them there and I send them a message, I'm like, you know, what's the confirmation number for FedEx or whatever, they don't see it. They're just not there. So if they're on iPhone, I can send them a message, a text message pretty easily. But if not, then that makes communications more difficult. And where am I going to find them on Slack, right? And so then it's email or other tools. But WhatsApp is like the... I wonder how long it'll continue to be. It's really interesting to see how Facebook is sort of becoming weaker, but it's not because WhatsApp is growing. So you just think Facebook's becoming anchor when in fact they know so much about us because my whole life is on WhatsApp. You just have to go in there and search and what it's just ridiculous. I think this kind of boils down to like unspoken rules and expectations that you don't know, right? Just like the cultural differences, both from like the interpersonal and then like the tactical you were saying Daniela like if you've never been to Israel and someone picked you up by your hair and dropped you in that country like saying like here you go like you live here now there it would be so challenging pretending that you could speak the language even right not understand that everybody uses whatsapp you'd have to have someone tell you it'd probably take you five times of people being like what's up what's up before you're like oh okay I'll download that app and like <laughs> and you know there is 
as you were saying, stereotypes, the stereotype of the Israelis being super direct. And on the other side of the house, Americans being super passive aggressive and, and whiny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also being able to, to read the passive aggressiveness. So Israelis will say, you know, roughly, I want to sell my product to you. What do you think? And then the American will say, oh, it looks amazing. You know, call me sometime. And now it's in the pipeline, right? It shouldn't be in the pipeline just because somebody said it looked great. And so that's a huge barrier there to understand what did they mean when they said they really liked it? Did they mean we should get married now or maybe, you know, never, sort of, right? I love that. They're opening the opportunity on Salesforce as they actually hear, oh, it looks actually cool. (laughs) You know, we have like a 5% probability. Like, I don't want to interfere with the sales team. And if they put it in there, then that's their business. But I know that nobody, there was no communication beyond whatever, the webinar, right? It shouldn't be a 5% probability. But fine if you want it there. I'm dying laughing because there's so much truth to what you're saying right now. (laughs) And so these are cultural barriers. And then if you want to laugh, then there's also Israelis will make mistakes in English. And how do you react to them? And so I I made a list, right? Well, you shouldn't laugh. That's not nice, right? (laughs) What happens when somebody tells you that they saw something and it came out of the blues? Uh (laughs) How are you going to like... Not saying. Well, I'm not going to correct. I, that one, I'm like, I would chalk that up to like, I think that's like a 90, you know, if you were grading a test, it'd be like, okay, that's like a B. Good job. It's true. It's true. Americans are very forgiving. I, I mean, English is a second language for me. It isn't first. And when I was learning English and when I see like even my dad speaking to people and he worked here in this country too, Americans are so forgiving when they're speaking to someone whose first language is not English. And for me, I'd rather be corrected than actually just, you know, my mistakes ignored because I can learn and I can be better. But a lot of people will just let it go. Won't say anything. So are you a freak control? (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) I like that one a lot. They say freak control. Oh, and I, I love that. Ten times, and they're still going to say, I'm not a free control. And, you know, of course, I'm the one who's a free control. I love that. I'm going to buy the domain for that. <laughs> free control. <laughs> and then we have some names, Israeli names, that sound ridiculous in, in English, in American English, like Dudu. So Dudu is short for David. David's a very common Israeli name. Dudu sounds ridiculous. Or Moran, which is a name that's it actually could be for men and women. That's a horrible name. Or a woman's name, Osnat, which how do you meet someone? You say, it's nice to meet you, Osnat. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm Dudu. <laughs> I think, <laughs> all right, I, I don't want us getting letters or mean emails. I would say that I would probably just say it, learn to say it and then say it. One thing that I do have to do or I had to do is make sure, like, I think for all Americans or Israelis is make sure you're pronouncing the names correctly. Cause there's, there's been a few times where I've joined a company and everyone says someone's name a specific way. And then when I actually talk to them and they say their name a different way and it's like, Oh, like we've Americanized their name. We just put whatever syllables we want on it. And it's like completely the the, the incorrect name. Well, and some names have the ch in them, obviously, 
make it more. Right. Right. So you have to know to pronounce that. That's actually crazy. You mentioned that. I'll share with you both right after this episode. There's a segment in the Washington Post podcast that just did a segment just on this, how immigrants Americanize their names when they come to the U.S. because either they're trying to fit in or it's, it's too hard for people to pronounce. It's actually really, really cool. It's crazy that you're mentioning it right now. We'll drop that link. Yeah. Is it time for our game? Yeah, I think it's time for our game. Okay. Yeah. Danielle, this has been really, really fun. Actually, okay, I'm going to go first. So this is our game where we guess what you would be doing if you were not in cybersecurity marketing or in media production for journalism stuff, because that was what you used to do. Oh, you would so be like a deep thinking professor, Daniela, because your whole demeanor and like what you said on this episode, I was like, I'm in a class. This is like, and I loved college classes. I didn't like college, but I loved going and hearing like a teacher who like knew so much about something and like obviously had passion and had thought about it and was like really engaging to listen to. I think you'd be a great professor. Well, thank you. I don't think I would be a professor though. Oh no, I already lost. (laughs) Okay, Maria. (laughs) Destroyed. Okay. Let's say I think you would still be doing something in the arts. I could totally see you directing like a group of musicians, like a maestro, like directing an awesome like symphony or something. What about an arts professor? That's a thing. (laughs) What I sort of fantasize about. Gianna's still trying. (laughs) I am trying. I fantasize about two things. If like, if I didn't need to make money, right. I fantasize about making documentaries, which is something that I sort of started with specifically. I would love to make a documentary about street cats in Israel. Cause when you come to Israel, when you come to Tel Aviv, you'll see that the number of street cats is just like, there's more cats than people. So there are all kinds of statistics. I don't know if that's true, but they're in general, in the Middle East, there are a lot of cats because yeah. they survive the winter, right? So they, in colder countries, you don't have as many street cats because they don't survive the winter. In in the Middle East, you see, I don't know if you see it in Morocco as well. Cause I oh, yeah. So in the, it's famous for Istanbul and Beirut is famous for cats. And so, so that's one thing I would do. And the other is I do mosaics in my, like once a week I'll do, I have mosaics. And so I would love to spend a lot more time doing mosaics but you know it's like the investment in like one piece in terms of time and energy it's like it's not something you could really live that's awesome would you do like i am obsessed with tile mosaics especially the geometric stuff that comes from morocco yeah i have i have that i have that everywhere i could in my house sometimes yeah i mean morocco is famous for tables and furniture and all kinds and of course the floors are beautiful so i've done a lot of pots like for plants i've done tabletops i've done mirror frames like as gifts because you can't have them at home at some point your home looks ridiculous so i have to keep giving them away to people (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing mirror frames as well you'll have to share a couple of pictures with us so we can share with our listeners yes Yes. what would you guys do Ooh, what would we do oh my goodness well hang on let me guess so now I get to guess, right? Oh my goodness, Daniela, you are you are making this very interesting. We are loving this. <laughs> uh, all right. So Gianna, because I know you're freelancing now, and so I would assume that you would do something that's less stressful. But that's the only <laughs> reason I would do that. 
Whereas Maria, I know you're not freelancing, so you're multitasking and, you know, so you would, so I would say you would take on more stress. Although I have to say again, when I saw you guys at the conference, you guys dealt with stress very well. We were running around like crazy. And yeah, so I would guess, hmm, I set myself up with this. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Committed. Okay, so Gianna, I'd say also maybe academic stuff, something academic. No. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just cutting you down just like you cut me down. (laughs) Maria, I can see you like in a corporate environment. I sort of can imagine you doing well in a corporate environment. But I don't know if you'd enjoy that, you know, I, that, that's not necessarily a compliment because, <laughs> you know, who like suits in the end, it's like, I love suits. You do. I love that show. Oh yes. Okay. Well, so, yeah. but, hey, you're close there. I mean, I love what I do. I do enjoy marketing. I love the challenge that it comes with, especially in this industry. But I think if I had a choice, I would be doing something in the restaurant business. I would be cooking somewhere, even if it's like a hot dog cart somewhere, I would be doing that versus nine to five cybersecurity marketing. Interesting. I would be. So, you know what, Daniela, I think you're actually, I take back my no, I'll say yes, because most people who take this path also have an intersection with academia. I would be poet laureate of the United States. Oh, nice. And do you write poetry in your spare time? (laughs) Spare time. (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) I used to. Maybe one day in five to 10 years, it'll come back. (laughs) That's why it's the pipe dream question. Well, Daniela, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can people find you? On LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm addicted and I'm there quite a bit. I used to do a lot of Twitter and I, personally, and I don't anymore. So you can find me on Daniela Alfer on LinkedIn. Of course, I am the person behind Reveal Securities LinkedIn. So if you, you can find me there because if I'm not doing one profile, I'm, I'm doing the other. That's really where I am most of the time. I keep Facebook and Instagram mostly to myself. They like to less professional circle. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if anyone will include those links in the show notes and thank you again, Daniela, for being on. If anyone else, not anyone else, because we are selective here, but if you want to be on breaking through in cybersecurity marketing, send us a note at hey there, hey, spelled H-E-Y, hey there at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. We welcome your feedback, your thoughts, your nice thoughts, let me be clear, and your five-star review. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.